All right, ready? Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette. She is Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? I am all right. You know what is a delicious cookie? I'm listening. Those dunkers. Do you shop at Trader Joe's? Yes, I do. They have chocolate chip dunkers. Have you seen these? No. Okay, go on. They are shaped like a surfboard. <laughs> That's the best way. What's that? Show? They're like long, like they're oval, but they're like long, like a surfboard. And they come in like I think a raisin, some cinnamon nonsense, and then the other one is chocolate chip. And you can get chocolate chip with chocolate frosting on the other side. You know, on one what? side, or just plain. But the ones with the chocolate frosting on one side, don't buy those for the house. Like buy them for a party. You don't need them in your house. They're delicious. Like crack. Not that I've ever had crack. <laughs> they're phenomenal. And that has been Snacks with Tamika. <laughs> so. <laughs> Love the new segment. You know, you always bring us some new heat. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, y'all, y'all can find us on the internet at um, betterthanthemovie.com or on Twitter at better than TM. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash better than the movie. And if you are in the mood to talk, you can uh, leave a message at our Google voice number, which is 210-816-2886. So, before we get started, no, top of the news. The Queen of America <laughs> is pregnant with twins, and we would be fake. <laughs> we would be not ourselves if we did not acknowledge this glorious news. Why does Jesus use Beyonce the way he does? <laughs> like, <laughs> No, so the girl who sits that. across from me at work, mm-hmm. she too is in the hive. And um, so I, I forgot who told me. I don't remember who told me. Maybe maybe it was Ashley. Maybe it was the first person I saw say something about it. Um, but I turned to her and I was like, oh my God, Kiara, guess what? So she's like, what? I was like, girl, we going to be aunties again. she's like what I'm like go to Instagram she whipped out her phone so quick she was like oh my god twins Uh, and we had a moment we had a straight up stand moment and this other girl who works with us who like always gives us shit about being Beyonce fans or whatever she's like here y'all go let me walk away and I was like yes you walk away because we are reveling right now and if you can't get with the program I'm gonna need you to go how do you not find joy in a thing like anybody's Ladies, pregnancy? But yes. So anyway, I um, where was I when I found out that <laughs> the two and three were coming? Um, I was at work, and my cousin, 
and she texted me and my other cousin in the group text and said, OMG, this is the best news of the year. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I was busy at work, working, being burdened by work, and I missed the news, <laughs> freaking work. And so I was, she said, look on her Instagram. And I went on her Instagram, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I was in this small office on our campus, and there were people, and they were like, oh, my gosh, Beyonce's pregnant. And everybody was like, oh, that's great. Like, you would have thought, like, my real sister. <laughs> we're like, this is great. This is awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> but they knew. That the world needed. I kept thinking, like I'm not even trying to be one of those people. Like I just know what she, what Beyonce is gonna do before she do it, but she does it. But I was like, she has been like ghost, like not kind of out of the picture, and then you kind of see her going to a place. Like she has been ghost, and I said she is either working on something or she's pregnant. But I didn't want to say it because I don't like when people are like, I'm thinking Beyonce is pregnant. Like, so I was just like, well, something, she's doing something. Because for her to just disappear off the face of the earth like that. And so it was glorious news. Glorious news. And her beautiful maternity pictures are just like next level. I still think they're attached to something greater because she just, she's, you know, she's a thinker. She's surprising like that. So Anyway, congratulations to the Carter family from the Better Than the Movie team, as if they listen to our podcast. They might. You don't know. They might. You never know. The Carters are a learned clan. They are. They are. who we have other news other than the big news. Plus, also, thank you, because I was sick of hearing about Donald and his shit show of administration <laughs> only only one thing could break up that news cycle Beyonce uterus okay <laughs> let's let me tell you what's happening in these here book streets yes what is what what's going on what's new you sent me this or this was in our twitter mentions about something called sweet blackberry right yeah um Sweet Blackberry is an organization, it's a foundation, what would you call this, a foundation? Um, it's got a board of I know, but I, it's weird, because I don't feel like it's a, like, I feel like it's a publishing imprint, but then it also has like a need, board of directors, so. I feel like they need an about page on their website but anyway it's run by karen Par- parsons she's the founder and president and for those of you who don't know people's real names she played hillary banks on the hit black television show the fresh prince of bel-air um she basically i didn't know this but her mother was a librarian in the black resource center of a library in south central los angeles you can't get no more black in uh, well-read than a black librarian in the black resource center of a library in south central (laughs) um and so her mother would share stories of african-american accomplishment with her daughter i'm assuming her mother is black let me take that back she might be biracial i don't know anyway um so she founded this organization <laughs> organization um that is basically that's committed to um bringing african-american stories sharing african-american stories with 
the youth, the people. Oh, Tatiana Ali is on the advisory board. OMG. Cute. So anyway, it looks as if they do things like outreach. Um, they go to schools um, and do... Oh, hell. I'm sorry. They go to schools and tell stories, and it looks like there's some book... I don't know if it's financial donations, but book donations. Maybe they build libraries. Um, they produce some stuff. Yeah, because it says something here. There's something called Dancing in the Light, the Janet Collins story. And yeah. it is a sweet Blackberry animated short on Janet Collins, the first African-American soloist to perform at the Met. Yeah, so it looks like like she's been cultivating this since uh, 2005. Um, and she's released a couple of films along with animated short that you just mentioned, um, in addition to like books and stuff too. Which so is mad lot. dope. There's a lot. Um of things here it looks like they've maybe published some books it's a whole thing it's not just movies it's not just books and there's way <clears throat> excuse me there are ways that you can get involved by doing donations they have something called a thank you all um where basically um people who have contributed to this project and however many ways i think specifically in this uh kickstarter oh okay so it was a Kickstarter project. Have you heard of Garrett's Gift? No. Okay, I watched Garrett, Garrett's Gift. It's also on Netflix. And if you look at the um, if you look at the list of people who have given to this um, project, it's like a who's who of black people. <laughs> it's like uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, obviously. That's Carlton. Daphne Maxwell Reed. But then there's also like um, what's her name? Will and Jada's on here, Debbie Allen. Allen, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Missy Copeland. Copeland. Uh, the whole Alvin Ailey Dance Company. So it's, it's, I'm still trying to find the, the, um, I don't know what to call this. This is weird. And not because we didn't do the education, because it seems no, like it's just a multiple. It's, it's, I was going to say, it's multifaceted. Like, it's not just necessarily one thing um because in the in their mission statement they say that we are creating content that works across multiple media platforms leveraging the power of stories to teach and reach young children whenever and wherever no i'm sorry wherever and whoever they may be yeah it's pretty neat so, and they've got like some... they're trying to approach it um in a multitude of ways in order to reach everybody where they can get and they've got some cool videos you can see some of the work that they've done in the classrooms for the youths um it looks pretty cool you can buy a couple two or three of the movies on their store they've got a blog so you can keep up with what they're doing it looks really really interesting i did not know that she had this at all so this is pretty cool check it out it's a sweetblackberry.org right all right all right <laughs> so this next piece of news uh comes from us via buzzfeed um, the title is Bad Feminist Author Pulls Book from Simon & Schuster Over That Racist Ass Alt-Right Dude Whose Name I Don't Know How to Pronounce Controversy So um, Roxanne Gay had a book That was coming out called How to Be Heard And um, It was with the Ted Books Imprint Which is a mm. subsidiary of uh, Simon & Schuster Um but she said in a statement that she can in good conscience let them publish it while they also publish him. Um, so she told her agent to pull the project over the weekend. 
Um, and she also said that she couldn't bring herself to turn the book in because she wasn't interested in doing business with the publisher willing to give that guy a platform. She said, I'm not going to read all of this, but I think it's interesting. Um, when the announcement about his book came first came out, I was relieved because I thought I didn't have a book with Simon and Schuster and tweeted something to that effect. <laughs> then I remember my Ted book and that Ted is an imprint of Simon Schuster, Simon and Schuster. I was supposed to turn the book in this month and I kept thinking about how egregious it is to give someone like my Milo a platform for his blunt and elegant hate and provocation. I just couldn't bring myself to turn the book in. My editor emailed me last week and I kept staring at that email in my inbox. And finally over the weekend, I asked my agent to pull the book. Um, she recognizes that they're vastly different imprints, um, Threshold and Ted books, um, but they both reside within Simon & Schuster. So I guess I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And to be clear, this isn't about censorship. He has every right to say what he wants to say, however distasteful, and I and many others find it to be. He doesn't have a right to have a book published by a major, major publisher, but he has in some bizarre twist of fate been afforded that privilege. So be it. I'm not interested in doing business with a publisher willing to grant him that privilege. She also acknowledges that she is fortunate enough to be in a position to make this decision. I recognize that other writers aren't and understand that completely. I love that uh, she says, like, in a bizarre twist of fate. No, girl, white man privilege. Like, yeah. ain't no bizarre twist of fate. Like, he did not force Gump his way into a book. No, deal. girl. Yeah, I didn't know that there had been um, this statement from the publisher saying that it won't. They promised that the book, the Simon and Schuster CEO Carolyn Reddy yeah, explained that um, the book would not incite hatred, discrimination, or bullying. Um, she says it was in a letter, and she basically just said that she made a promise that she can't keep. Um, she says, first and foremost, I want to make it clear that we do not support or condone, nor will we publish hate speech, not from our authors, not in our books, not in our imprints, not from our employees, and not in our workplace. He said that he was interested in writing a book that would be substantive examination of the issues of political correctness and free speech. Okay, and let me stop right there. I don't know if people are familiar with this um, person and his the way he talks. He is not the type of racist that comes right out and says, you know, nigger or whatever. He is the type of person who um, kind of pokes at he calls it political correctness. I just call it basic human decency. Mm -hmm. And he pokes at that and he kind of twists it on his head. So you can never say that he used hate speech, but he definitely speaks to these people who kind of don't like the idea that they can't say whatever they want to say to people. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I am usually not that like, you know, y'all know I'm not a big Roxanne. I'm not in the Roxanne gay nest but <laughs> but i am um impressed that she used her position in this way and i know it there's two sides to it but i think that one i like that she acknowledged that she has the privilege to do that that she's privileged enough to be able to make that decision and she just felt strongly enough to take action so i'm not not mad at it you <laughs> I, I really honestly and truly don't give a fuck about this whole thing anymore yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I, I don't care congrats Roxanne like you did a thing it's great it's awesome but I really don't give two shits about the whole situation at this point alright okay so <laughs> next story I want to talk about Paul Beatty is it Beatty? 
Beatty. Beatty. I'm going to call him Beatty. Paul Beatty is the author. He won the Man Booker Prize um, this past year. Also, uh, he is the first American to win the award. Mm -hmm. Um, You remember, I also, who else won it that wasn't British? Was it Marlon Uh, James? Oh, Marlon James, duh. Yeah. So anyway, he was also black. So yay, black men. Um, this is basically okay. So he won first American. He ran it. He he won it for his book called The Sellout, which is like a satire, kind of sarcastic, funny book about race relations in the United States. And so you know he's kind of he's popping, you know, <laughs> right now. And he's like he goes to these you know festivals and he's after trump was elected and they're asking him you know what do you you know tell me how you feel as a black american and he's like i'll quote he says i don't claim now for any special insight i read the same newspapers you all do (laughs) um basically he's like i'm not new to this i'm true to this and i've seen this before and i'm not um surprised or shocked but i'm also not gonna be the spokesperson for all black people because i wrote a book about race and i'm black um he says it's like a big test and it's like is the world going to fail trump's victory is so symptomatic of so much that's happening in the world in the states everybody pays attention because supposedly supposedly the states is is different but this xenophobia this fear this insecurity with uh modi Uh, That's the Indian prime minister here in in Duterte. I think that's how you say it is in the Philippines. They've always been there, but the fact that they're making progress, that's scary. So um, he's also says it's like a diorama on how we do things against our own self-interest. Despite his misogyny, his rhetoric, 22% of women voted for Trump. So basically he's saying like, listen, you know, we like to think that we're above this, you know, other countries are going through and they have all of these kind of, screwed up leaders and we think oh well we're the united states this doesn't happen to us but he's like it does um and it's kind of a mirror which i totally agree with um was like me was like i know that he wasn't joking that's the thing i keep hearing people were like we didn't think he was serious like yeah yeah yo it's so crazy like how so many people also um refuse to kind of take culpability for their part in this right like if you cast your ballot for this dude everything that has happened since is a direct effect of the ballot that you cast on that november day like he straight up told people i am basically out for myself like my interests uh, he he couched it under the the guise of oh I want to make this country what it used to be Mm -hmm. as if this country um was founded on some great high moral principles and as if equity was a thing that ever existed here as if he could turn back time and suddenly we'd be living in an idyllic world. And for people who come from disenfranchised communities to buy into that, and I'm not even just saying like minorities, but I'm thinking like poor ass whites for them to be like, oh yeah, he, you know, he can turn things around for us. Can he really like y'all are surviving 
thanks to the strides that were made in the previous eight years. And he wants to roll back some shit that's pretty integral to your existence, like healthcare, like taxation. And you purposefully voted against your own interest for what? Because he had a fucking great slogan on a trucker hat? No, yeah, but no, it's never about that. It is never about the thing that they say it's about. It's really about, oh my gosh, this guy is saying all the things out loud that I say to myself or to my family members or to in my friendship circle that I don't feel I can say in public. Like, it's ne- it's not about that. It's about racism. I mean, that's it. It's about racism. It's about xenophobia. To an extent, it's about sexism. And that's it and people can i listen i have gone out of my way to have conversations with people i know voted for trump just to hear their perspective and i go into it with an open mind and an open heart and i always leave the same two things one you're dumb like and i know i won't say dumb ignorant because you don't even understand what you just voted for um but then two yeah yeah you're dumb so like they just don't have any nothing is said like you it's why like what about this person made you trust that he was going to do anything that he said he was going to do in terms of the things oh he's going to bring jobs how you know like I keep saying people are not some people are out of work because their company moved some people are long-term unemployed because they refuse to get skills new skills when their old skills become irrelevant. Um, And you can blame Trump and you can blame, I mean, you can blame Obama, you can blame Mexicans, you can blame whoever, but at the end of the day, your factory job ain't never coming back. So you're going to have to crack open that Excel and get to getting like you just, you know, and so it's some of that. Um, But I I say that. And the reason I even put this on the doc, it's not that this is anything to do with Paul Beatty's work, even though it it ties together Mm -hmm. um, because his work is about race. But it's also really interesting. One thing that I am excited about is to see how um, creatives, artists um, react the things that they have to say and how this climate, this political climate right now colors their work. Um, I'm interested to hear the music that's going to come out and the books that are going to come out um, that are inspired by what's happening. Um, so I'm not super doom and gloom, but I'm su- I'm very interested in seeing the ways in which people express themselves because even with the Obama administration, you know, there was a lot of you know black love and um, appreciation for black excellence. And look at all the good you know books that came out of that and music and then you know the fashion and the TV shows and all. And so I don't anticipate that now maybe we will amp it up <laughs> you know which will be great um but i'm interested to see how artists respond to what's happening and so that's why i kind of put this on here you can i think we'll put it in the show notes but it's really interesting what Beatty has to say about it um especially about things like american accountability um and so forth but yeah that is you know i just think and i'm not say the people that voted for trump are ignorant i don't mean like no, I mean that they are not even intellectually intellectually curious. Like you hear a word and, you know, if Kellyanne Conway can get on TV and tell you that a federal judge decision about an executive order has nothing to do with that executive order and people believe it, it's because they don't read. They're not intellectually yeah. curious. They're not even curious enough to go Google it, you know, let alone 
pick up a book about it. And that is what troubles me the most because I firmly believe that man is an office because people don't read. Oh, absolutely. And people are lemmings. Like they just, they blindly latch on to certain buzzwords um, and dog whistle phrases, which he had many of those on the campaign trail. And they just latch onto that shit like oh yes this man is the way the truth and the light life is going to be so much better now that nigger's not in the office yep and just how easily it is to con people you know they used to say that there was something in whatever that book is it doesn't really exist the best if you want to hide something from a black man put it in a book mm-hmm. well <laughs> if you want to learn if you want to hide the way the political process really works and the way the economics really works from um uneducated or undereducated white people put it in a book because all of this stuff was easily easily most of the stuff is basic civics and basic economics and like he's not going to be able to do the things he says he's gonna do but you know um it is what it is and like i said i'm very interested to see what kind of art and writing and things like that come out of it maybe tony morrison's got one more book in there or two we could only hope could only hope all right so this next article is weird to me. <laughs> this might be um the whitest thing I've seen all year. Now, how you didn't give a shit about that uh Milo article, <laughs> I don't give this is weird. weird. Go, so the title of this article is called Dear Readers, You Are Not Alone. So it says, when you walk into a bar full of people silently on their phones, no one thinks anything of it, says Guinevere de la Mer founder of San Francisco-based Silent Book Club. But when you walk into a bar full of people silently reading books, now that's an arresting image. It's also an image that's becoming more common as a new literary trend gains traction around the country, silent reading parties. So let me tell you what I'm not going to do. Go to the bar um, for socialization and then pull out a book and ignore everyone around me. You can do this same thing at the crib why are you going to the bar to ignore everyone around you like i don't understand it like the whole point of going out to the bar and having a drink in public is to engage with others and it's saying like they don't necessarily discuss the book they might pass notes or share a paragraph they don't even read the same damn book and then sometimes they might end up staying and then getting to talk they switch out their phones for or I'm sorry, they end up hanging out all night because when they're done reading, they kind of hang out at the bar. Uh, This is weird because reading is a solitary act unless you're reading out loud. And Exactly. Like, I really think that's okay to compare it to phones. I mean, most of the time when people are on their phone, they are still kind of communicating with other people. If I go to a bar and I'm checking my messages or whatever... Um, I'm still in conversation with the people that I'm around. I'm still interacting, but I didn't just come to do something like be as engrossed in a book and just sit next to you. That's weird. That's very weird. And like, are y'all shutting down these bars? So only the people coming in and read, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what are other patrons doing? Like, I'm not a person who can have a ton of background noise going as I read. Like, I can have music playing like kind of low. I can't have the TV on and read at the same time because it's not going to work. So you think about it, like most bars, um, but I don't know what kind of place they're going to, but most bars have at least 
a couple TVs around the place. They're always going. They're over the sound system. Like, I don't. Do you not have friends? Is that what this is for? Like, people who don't have friends? I just have never been like, you know, what I need is to go sit around some other people reading because they have a place for that. It's called the library. The library. Exactly. um, And, like, no shade. I actually have read a book in a bar before. Because I was, I had to waste some time before an event, and That's, yeah, they had golf on the TV, and so I was like, yeah, well, "Hell no!" So I just reached in my work bag and brought out my book. And, but like to purposefully say, okay, every third Thursday from seven to nine p.m., I'm going down to Patty McFadden's, and I'm gonna sit there and read my book with everyone else who's reading, but not actually engage anyone in conversation, not even be reading the same books that everyone else is reading, and not pay any attention to anyone around me. That makes zero sense to me. It's super strange. Like, it's super strange. And the fact that you would... Some of the people have people over to their house. So, like, you would invite five or six people over everybody bring their books and they don't talk they just which that one doesn't seem as strange especially if you're really good friends and you're just kind of like i'm gonna cook and we can read and hang out and i see you every week anyway so it's no big deal but to like intentionally leave my house for the purpose of reading a book amongst people nah bro no anyway you know yeah so that was the thing it's an idea somebody out there will like it Oh, girl, they have 15 silent book club chapters. See? So, there are a lot of people that like it, apparently. <laughs> a person. Every strange thing. What's I mean, strange? Not to they're young, but that is just, I don't get it. Sure. No, me neither. All right. Oh, anyway, so moving on to some good news. So, Marley Diaz, who was uh, the young girl who founded the Thousand Black Girl Books hashtag movement and book drive, she has gotten a book deal with Scholastic. Yay! Oh, yay, Marley. She's so freaking adorable. She is. She is. I didn't realize she was 12. I don't know why I thought she was much younger than that. I think because when she first started, she was like a few years younger. Okay. Because she's been doing this for like a couple years now. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. She's making a book. Um, she's going to share tips on, on activism, inclusion, volunteerism, social justice, paying it forward, and turning dreams into a reality. The book is for ages 10 and up and is set to be released in the spring of 2018. So I thought this little quote from her was so cute. She said, all of my friends can probably only name one publishing house, and that's Scholastic. They are everywhere. So Scholastic is the perfect partner for spreading my message of diversity, inclusion, and social action. She's cute. I love it. I love it. I love when people, like, you know, I don't want to say coach them, because I'm not saying that these aren't her genuine thoughts, but kind of like... You can tell they've been molded in a way. They've been molded in this way. Yeah, they've been shaped to to think um i love it too especially now more than ever that young people are understanding activism they're understanding uh what social justice issues are and how they can um be contributors um to society even though they're young i love it because i don't remember no kids my age doing shit but watching nickelodeon and oh not never like i don't i don't ever remember being 
around this age and being plugged into the world around me as much as kids are now. Yeah, but yeah. Also, there was no internet when I was a kid, but let's not talk about that. (laughs) Way way back in the dark ages, there were definitely, we had two tin cans and a string. That's all we knew. That's how we communicated. (laughs) We sent pigeons back and forth. There was no text messaging. Yep. 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 I remember when we first got internet, it was like, bruh. Anyway, and we this? certainly weren't we certainly weren't using it to find out what was going on in the world. No, <laughs> so even <we> definitely <laughs> wasn't. <laughs> shout out to Marley and her woke cell. We are yes, super congratulations proud. Congratulations to her. So for like the last week or two, my right eye has been twitching. I have been having headaches and tension in my neck. And I realized that between the bizarro news and the anxiety about the world and the country um, I and work in regular life, I have just not been doing a good job of kind of checking in with myself to see what is causing all of this stuff. I've just been kind of powering through it. And so I realized I needed to take some time to kind of do some things that were fun. um, And that kind of helped me recharge my batteries. Uh, People call that self-care. I call it recharging my old ass batteries. (laughs) Um, but however you want to do that, there's a multiple, multiple ways to do that. And I, um, wanted to do this show and I was like, what do you think of this? And Jeanette was like, perfect. And so here we are. Um, we are going to talk about feel good books for these here shitty times. And we want to, um, just highlight some books. Some of these, I think we may have talked about them briefly before, but books that just kind of are, take you out of this world. I don't mean that in a... an exploration way i mean yes, we're gonna speak hello? about books about now <laughs> we want you to be able to escape to have a laugh to have a key at someone else's expense <laughs> to <laughs> feel good even if you can't afford to go nowhere yes a mental um, escape all of that you know listen to good music i have been on I, you know whose album who just makes you feel great or well, me feel great it's chance the rapper's it's just such a little delight. Bundle of sunshine, right? And me. Like, I just see his little face and I just start smiling because he's just yeah. like, he just yeah. emanates positivity. I love yes. That. Yeah. So he, him, some Luther, you know, <laughs> not the love ballads, but Luther. Luther. Um, <laughs> like a thousand kisses, some of his ups. I love that song. Never too much. That's my jam. Oh, that is a um, jam. Oh, come on, Auntie Jams. Right on. Everybody, speaking of Auntie Jams, the whole uh, planet watched the new edition documentary. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, it wasn't a documentary. Biopic. <laughs> biopic. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought the, the, the darlings that played them were darling. And it bought that music back. And I just, oh my gosh, I was jamming the BBD all the way to work. 
when you hear that dun, 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 yeah, <laughs> I was in the car grooving. There was white people laughing at me at the light. I don't care. But it felt good to escape in that way. Um, and so I feel like books can do the same. So we're going to talk about some of our favorite books that make you just feel good. So you want to go first? Sure. All right. So I probably go back to this book, and I think I talked about this book on our very, very first episode. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go back to this book once every like two to three years and reread it, although I've read it easily a good like 15, 20 times already in my lifetime. Um, but it's Friends and Lovers by Eric Jerome Dickey. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's where I cut my teeth on, like, grown-up fiction, right? Okay. Um, so, like, in his heyday, um, it was Eric Jerome Dickey. It was dreadful-ass Omar Tyree, um, of course, Terry McMillan, and, like, all of those people um, who were, like, on the scene just writing book after book after book. And, but Friends and Lovers, like, has always been, like, my go-to Eric Jerome Dickey book. Okay. Um, because I just, it, it feels like checking in with friends. I'm like, oh, let me see what Shelby and Tyrell, oh, damn. Yeah, they still on that bullshit. Damn, they can't, mm-hmm. they gonna make it. Is they gonna make it? I don't know. And despite the fact, like I said, I've read it easily a good 15 to 20 times. It just, um reading about the evolution of their relationship and all of the pitfalls and especially like now as a real life grown up as opposed to reading it like when I was younger and in my teens and having uh, preconceived notions of what it meant to be an adult um, I can kind of look at like some of the shit they went through and like laugh at it like y'all were so silly but yeah. still get kind of wrapped up in the story too um because it's just it's it's just good writing and it's there are um issues in there and there are kind of heavy things that happen but it is nothing that's like unbearably like drag you down into the muck like it's like a rom-com in book form yeah 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 and so i just love it like i'll read that book a thousand times before i die probably (laughs) Right. H.A.D. is out here with the feel-good black love. Some of it, I mean, it got a little, it did got a little dark as time yeah, passed. Yeah, as time passed. But, like, when he was in the beginning, when he first started, uh Super good books. I remember Friends and Lovers. You know, that's the only one I think I've read, like, once or twice. But all the other ones I've read, the early ones I read a hundred times over. And I, too, was too young to be reading those books. But I think because I, I got away with it because the colors. Remember the covers were kind of yep, colorful? They, <laughs> they had, like, the cartoony-looking yeah. people drawn on them. So Nobody like, asked me. <laughs> right. Like, what's really going on here? Oh, okay. I got cartoons on it. It can't be too bad. <laughs> it's animated. We got to get us. I'm going to get a statement from my mama. That's one thing we have to do for this show. Say, here's a book, mom, that I read. Explain yourself. <laughs> be a good, better than the movie segment. Ooh, I'm pretty sure my mom would be like, girl, I wasn't paying attention to what the hell you was reading, but I was just like, she reading. Who you read. <laughs> she, she reading, so I'm leave her alone. <laughs> Guys, I think I'm going to ask my mom because she's going to say, my mom's pretty unpredictable, so let me not say it. Anyway, okay. So, my first choice is how Stella got her groove back. Do you want to feel yes. old? Ancient old? Do you want to feel old? I feel old when I remember, when I was reading the description, um, that Stella was 42. 
I am not in my 40s yet. I've got a little ways to go, but that is... It's, it's Mad it's, close. You can see it on the horizon. I can see it on the horizon. She has an 11-year-old. I have a 9-year-old. I remember reading this book again. I was probably too young to really... Um, maybe not. Not when that young. Maybe. How about this book first come out in the 90s? Yeah, I think it was sure. like mid to late 90s. Okay, so I wasn't, uh, yeah, I was still too young to read this book. Um, (laughs) If you can, I I wish that I didn't know what I know, because now I don't think I could ever reread this book without seeing um, um, Tara McMillan's ex. Oh, man, and those brows. I just, yeah, honey, all I, like, all I want to see is, in my head, is Angela Bassett and Yeah, uh, K. Diggs. Young Tay Diggs. Young Tay Diggs before we knew how he was. (laughs) So anyway, um, the book is about a very stressed and divorced, high-powered investment analyst. Stella was out there getting it. She had a beautiful home. She could go on vacation for whenever. Um, This was before the economic crash. And so (laughs) people had things. Um, She decides that she needs a break. Between her and her bestie, they decide she needs a break. So she goes on vacation to Jamaica and she meets Winston. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Winston is like <sighs> Winston is a young Thundercat. <laughs> and a young Thundercat, not an old one. And he pushes up on Stella. And Stella's like, boy, stop. And then next thing you know, they are in the sheets and Stella is getting her to that thing up, mommy making <laughs> <laughs> in the back adjusted by young Winston, but she don't believe in what happens in Jamaica stays in Jamaica, so somehow they start trying to make a relationship work. But um, it was really like I remember reading this book, and like first of all, it just took—I mean, she did a really good job of taking you there, so you felt like you were on vacation. Um, and like, oh, I want to go there, and ooh, pool and fruit and <laughs> fun times. But then it got real, and it was kind of like as a younger person, I didn't care. I was, but then I was like, oh, girls, Stella, please. Please, Stella, have your fun and come on home. Bring your ass back, Stella. What are you doing? Don't linger. Yes, especially when it was like he was 21. And I think I might, I was definitely younger than 21 when I read this. So I was like, hey, what's the big deal? But now, oh my gosh, can you imagine dating somebody 21? <laughs> yeah, just, I can't imagine dating somebody 29, let alone 21. <laughs> like, gross, Stella. <laughs> so anyway. oh, Hashtag ageism. <laughs> but... <laughs> It was a very, it's a very good, fun book that makes you feel like you're on vacay and um, you kind of feel Stella a little bit with the stress and the, just the need to relax. So y'all know that one, How Stella Got Her Groove Back by Terry McMillan. And I, that is one I can honestly say that I enjoyed the book way better than the movie, even though the movie was pretty good. All right. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and keep the party going with Terry. Okay. Because um, I put waiting to exhale. Hey. Um, th- so <laughs> I think I told this story b- when we did our book to movie episode mm-hmm. about how I was so pissed off when I saw the movie because I was like, none of this is right. Mm-hmm. It's all wrong. Um, oh, God. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, wh- what? Savannah wouldn't do that. Meanwhile, I'm like 14 yelling at the screen about what Savannah would or would not do. And yeah, and that was a we don't we didn't know what at the time, but 
Whitney was going through. So I don't know that she gave that performance her. Girl, no, she definitely didn't give it her. She was a stiff Savannah. Yeah, we got we got sixty percent Whitney and not ninety five percent Whitney. But um, (laughs) this book, and I actually haven't read it in quite a while. I actually thought about digging out my copy um, and rereading it. Uh, No time soon because I can't read. Um, But I. The book is light years better than the movie, and the movie was really good, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That, for me, I have to separate the book from the movie. Like, they're not the same thing. They're two different entities. Um, because the book, I feel like, dives a bit deeper into the characters and their motivations and, like, real life. As opposed yeah. to the movie. Yeah. The movie was, like, very surface level. Yeah. We we kind of went a little bit deeper with Bernadine, with her stuff. But, like, the book, it goes even deeper yeah Um, and then like savannah i didn't like how she was characterized in the in the movie but in the book like she was that bitch yeah for lack of a better word um you know she stumbled and fell um for her one little thing uh well oh dude whose name i can't remember whatever but for the most part this book was about four black women all successful in their own right kicking ass taking names no prisoners like just fucking doing work and so it was like kind of when I was a kid it was like aspirational because it's like damn you know look at all these women you know they're out there doing the damn thing it's fictional women but you know of course still yeah you know you kind of internalize that as a kid you know you see these characters as more than especially if a writer does their job correctly you see these characters as more than just flat people on the page but actual real life human beings whose you know lives and thoughts and ideas and feelings and motivations kind of permeate your existence and so we're waiting to exhale like it's just it's just a good chick lit let your care let let your worries go away have no cares for a few hours as you read it get caught up in these people drama and laugh at they bullshit just it's just a good way to escape for a little bit it really is it really is. And for the for people who are kind of young, and I I mean, seriously, I'm not trying to be funny, but if you're kind of on the young side and you missed the whole Waiting to Excel um, era when it first came out, well, it was some years be- between the, the book and the movie, but still most people that I know that are maybe like 25, 24 may have been like toddlers when this book, when this came out. So still read it because it's, it's very, I think that sometimes people feel like, oh, that happened in the 80s and 90s. And so much, like we tell Ashley all the time, we give her a hard time about movies and things like that that she hasn't seen. But it colors so much. It gives you so much context of kind of what's happening now. Yeah. Um, especially in culture. And you miss a lot of like good ass black cultural references when you don't read stuff from the 90s because 90s were like whatever's happening now in black TV and film. The 90s was like that, but on steroids like it was yeah yeah and yeah i was watching strictly business the other day and i was like I oh man okay. <laughs> yeah so, yeah 90s are where it's at um i agree so there you go tara mcmillan don't say we never talk about her on our show all right so 
The next book, I'm going to skip way down my list. I want to talk about celebrity memoirs as a genre. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then just cover a few that I really like. Okay. So, so not to ahead. interrupt you, but I might like chime in on this one too. Sure. Sure. Let's do that. It's better. It's better. <laughs> we're, we're better together. So um, the celebrity memoirs. <sighs> are not what they used to be. Maybe it's because the like you feel like you already know so much about them because they're on social media, because we have TMZ and reality television. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need... Like, okay, so take somebody like Gabrielle Union, right? Mm-hmm. And Dwayne, Dwayne Wade and their whole saga and drama and all of that stuff. Like, 20 years ago, you wouldn't know hardly any of those details so so you would wait for the book to come out or for them to get old or die and then the book would come out and then you would get all the tea like oh my god you mean to tell me she dropped off the kids oh my gosh she did uh, it, it, but we don't need that anymore we get we it in kind of baby, what? Yes. girl if that would have happened in like 94 we got that book about the break baby details <laughs> like it would have went down like girl did you read gabby book Yes, because there's no social media, you don't even know there is a break baby because they don't ever be, they're never seen with that baby. So I say all that to say celeb memoirs, especially those written pre social media, are juicy because that's how we found out about all this behind the scenes stuff. Um, there wasn't a ton of biopics. So, like, you wouldn't, like, we wouldn't know about. Bobby Brown cooking chicken with crack <laughs> because <laughs> without him making a book. That's why I liked every little step because it was just like a good old fashioned give me all you got. Bobby didn't hold back. That's yeah, how they used to bar, like and I felt like it was a it was a um like he was because you know how like some people I feel like in the age of social media they try to present themselves in a certain kind of way and if people who can corroborate that you were in fact not this way aren't around then you can pretty much tell your story however you want to tell it Mm -hmm. but um I think that's why I appreciated Bobby's book so much too because he did not make himself seem like some infallible human being like he was like no I was fucked up too and also, he comes from an era where everyone was an NDA, you know, when you walked in the door of a place so he could tell it all and it wasn't a big deal. But anyway, so I say all that to say that there are some good celebrity memoirs that are just good trash. Like they're not, some of them are good, you know, just good books, great stories, but some of them are just like T, 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 T. And so one I wanted, a couple I wanted to highlight, but you got to read them one after the other if you're going to read them so diana ross a biography by j randy tarabarelli um i love diana ross like i don't know why nobody in my family was a huge diana ross fan but i just (laughs) like her a lot like i love her kind of over the top like you can tell diana ross you know she is exactly the type of person that would say oh we all wearing white dresses okay cool and she shows up in a red one like (laughs) she (laughs) she has always given me that vibe so um you hear that story with your leads of any group there's always the person but diana ross is the queen of the 
um, out. She was Bobby Brown before there was a Bobby Brown, <laughs> but without the other habits. So um, Diana Ross's biography, it really, um, he talks about her childhood in a lot of detail. And you hear about how all these groups kind of came together, how she kind of pushed their way up the Motown ladder. And a lot of that was done just by her charm. But the thing I really liked about it is it also paints this other side to her. Like if you're her people, she loves you. She's going to look out for you. She's about her business though. And she's about trying to be the best at what she does, but she was never just the type of person to just be like oh f you some people couldn't get with that you know like they didn't understand her ambition that's what i took away they didn't really understand her ambition and sometimes she was dead wrong but it was kind of that dead wrong that if it came out now i don't think people would care because it is that kind of that cutthroat that sap quote unquote savage stuff is kind of celebrated now Mm -hmm. um but she, but back then it was very much like oh my gosh I can't believe that you would sing all their parts or that you would steal these girls dresses so that they won't look better than y'all <laughs> like um, so that it kind of tells all of those stories and the stories of like how she met her husbands and one of her husbands died um, and how that one was so it was all the tea all the dish all the dirt it would be like if that Beyonce biography was good like it's really good and then um so after that, you have to read Dream Girl, My Life as a Supreme by Mary Wilson. <laughs> Mary wrote this book at a time when she and Diana, you know, they were kind of doing reunions. I don't know if y'all know this, but trying to do reunions and it didn't work out. But it's very much that, like, what was it like to stand behind Diana Ross and how she put on? It was not a flattering book for Diana Ross. It would be like if Latavia <laughs> wrote a book about Beyonce. <laughs> Yeah. Um, And it was written, I think they've since reconciled, or at least they're cordial, but that book was like, oh, y'all want, it's exactly what the hell y'all thought it was. Um, I remember being in preschool, and my preschool teacher, I don't know where the hell my mom had me at, but she read that book to us, (laughs) like, during story time. And I remember that book like it was yesterday because she was like she was reading it for her own, you know, her own enjoyment. But she was like, mm, I got to be here today. <laughs> Everybody sit down. We're going to read book. And I just remember being like four years old and being really knowledgeable about the Supreme. <laughs> um, did I ever tell you that I'm distantly related to Mary Wilson? No. Yeah. Um, she's my dad's second cousin. That is so cool. And so we had like a family reunion that was actually organized by her kids, I think uh-huh. it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like back in like the 90s, like late 90s. I think it was like 97 or 98. Um, and so we went. It was out in Vegas. Um, and she was very fucking rude to me. Boo. <laughs> so fuck her. And I'm team Diana. All right. <laughs> Despite being somewhat related to her. That is the kind of tea I like. <laughs> uh, and I was a kid. I was like 16, 17 years old. I was like, how are you going to be rude to a kid? Well, maybe Diana wasn't the problem in that. Group. Just saying, you know, takes two to tango. Right. Um, did you have another one that you wanted to share? Did you have a memoir? A memoir. <sighs> I was going to, I thought you were going to talk about Itina. Okay. So I was. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it together? I mean, I don't even read it. That's, That's it. what I want to tell you. Read so, it. First of that all, was a book. 
she wrote the book with um, Kurt Loder, and I read it, I would say, maybe eight or nine, ten years ago. Um, and she, so I have, like, one of my favorite movies is What's Love Got to Do With It? I don't know why. Like, my dad it was one of those people, he had a zillion movie, like, every movie when it came out on Tuesday back in the day at Blockbuster, mm-hmm. or say, he would buy whatever the new movie was. So we literally had movies, like, wrapped around our den. And you know, like my brother watched Glory every 24 hours and I watched <laughs> What's Love Got to Do With It. And so I never read the book and I read the book in my adult life and I was blown away. Like if you think you don't need to read this because you've seen What's Love Got to Do With It, you will lie. <laughs> like you lie yeah. and you playing yourself. It is so good and so honest. And what's crazy is that, like, what what I really liked about the book um, is that because we don't know much about Tina Turner, the woman, um, Mm -hmm. because she's been off in whichever one of those European countries she in with Mm -hmm. her husband and living her, you know, her best life. Mm -hmm. But um, so, you know, we know about her as the performer. We can go back and look at old performances. But with this book, a, a thing that I thought that they did really well was give us a glimpse of Tina, the woman. Um, right. And she she didn't shy away from speaking very frankly about her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some points, like the stuff that shouldn't have been funny, she kind of phrased it. it in ways that it was funny, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and it's like, you know, thank God that you made it over. But. <laughs> like yeah when I, when I read some of the things I kind of felt like it was ho- it was definitely horrible the abuse she sustained and that kind of thing but the reason because I remember we were watching the movie and being like how could all these people let this happen but then like context of the times and even though he was terrible Ike Turner wasn't the only person putting his hands on his wife you know so it was kind of this he's in charge you know, he's got the money, he's got the drugs, so he can do whatever he wants as his woman. We ain't stepping in. You know what I mean? There wasn't PSAs about stepping in on domestic violence. I don't even know if people knew that that was a crime. back. <laughs> I mean, I know they know it was a crime, but it just seemed like it wasn't that big of a deal. Also, she, you know, um, she talks about her relationship with Ike in a way that you don't get in the movie. And even though this, I know we said this is self-care kind of feel-good books, I think the feel-good part of this comes in her one getting out of it but two in the way she talks about Ike Turner like she's not I didn't walk away from the book feeling like she hated his guts like yeah I don't fool with you no more but I feel sorry for you you know and I also forgive you to an extent so it's a triumphant book like we all most people know the story um but it's much better than the movie and uh, who wrote this with her kurt loader yeah wrote it if you don't know kurt loader we're super old kurt loader off right now yeah (laughs) kurt loader used to right he used to be like the man at mtv news and um he's a great writer and good reporter and all of those things and so it's really really good and it's a fast read like i think i might have read that this might have been when i read it in a day or so so check that one out oh i got one more have i talked about this before i think so really quickly confessions <laughs> of a video mixin don't judge just hold up it is just it's not a well-written book and most of the time you're gonna be like oh my god this is the dummiest of the dumb bitches ever but it is there is tons 
ton. There are gallons of tea in that book. <laughs> gallons. It's just a good, messy time. Yes. I don't know yeah. how much of it is true. But who cares? Some of like it's still entertaining. Care. Yeah, we're just trying to escape. Well, this is post-fact America. And Donald Trump's America, we don't need it to be true. It's Girl, just alternative facts reign. You understand? Right. right. So check them out. <laughs> Celebrity memoirs. Good trashy ones. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit with my next couple of selections. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Trump's America, and you brought this up um earlier when we were speaking about the Paul Beatty thing you were saying that you're looking forward to the art that will come of it um and that's the thing that I'm kind of looking forward to too because I'm kind of you know uh the the new buzzword is resist 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 mm-hmm. um and I'm I'm wondering in what ways will people resist because not everyone is able to let's say like go out and literally protest in the streets so then in what ways will you make your you make your voices be heard um and there's this book it's called autobiography of a people Mm -hmm. um, and it's edited by herb boyd and this is like i think it's like 60 or 70 different snippets from people uh from all walks of life from celebrity to joe schmo um and it's different eras of the african-american experience that mm-hmm. these different like essays and oh, almost said blog posts lord mm-hmm. <sighs> essays and excerpts from books and speeches um that were compiled and put into this collection uh so it like for example like there's um something from Benjamin Banneker talking about Thomas Jefferson. There's uh, W.B. Du Bois and the Talented Tenth. Um, Alvin Ailey is talking about dance. L.L. Cool J is talking about rap. Max Roach is talking about jazz. Um, and so it's it's such a good collection. I bought this probably like 12, 15 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, randomly, I saw it in like a cheapo bookstore and I picked it up and I initially started reading it um, chronologically so as the pages fell but then I felt I felt like it was getting a bit too dense um, because it moves through history from like the 1800s 1700 excuse me onward um, and so I would just go through and like pick a random piece and go and read it um, and that way I found that I got through the rest of the book because I didn't feel like I was being dragged through the bowels of history, so to speak. Um, uh-huh. But I could just, you know, if I was interested in hearing what Benjamin Banneker had to say, I can go and read that essay. You know, if I want to read about Ailey, I can go and read that essay. Um, so I would definitely recommend that if you do read this book, you don't read it uh, from cover to cover in the way that it was written. Um, okay. Kind of just like flip through the table of contents and see what things jump out at you and read those. But I think that um, I would like to see something like this updated for modern times because I think okay. like this stopped in like the mid nineties. So think of all the shit that's happened since 1996 till now. Um, and I think it would be interesting to kind of pull snippets and snapshots of history from people from different walks of life and compile them to something that encapsulates what's happened in the last 20 years um 
and kind of expounds a bit more on where this one started. But uh, yeah, it's a really it's it's a really good book. Some of uh, the portions are, like I said, super dense, super heavy, um, kind of tedious to get through. But the gems that are in there are worth it. Awesome. And I think it's on sale on Kindle right now, actually. Hey. <laughs> I'm into sales. Anytime a book is on sale, it even <laughs> looks remotely interesting. I mean, I'm going to give me two of them. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I was going to say The Sellout, which I talked about already by Paul Beatty. I have just... Okay. I just, I'm not done with this book, but so far I really like it. I don't think it's for everybody, though. Um, okay, why would you say that? Because I'm weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the book is, it's very, it, it when it starts, it's very, like, stream of consciousness. Like, it's, you know what's happening. He's been arrested for something and he has to go to court right the main character but he kind of goes off on these kind of stream of conscious tangents um they're very funny to me but other people may not get it like i think it he so basically (laughs) it's satirical it's about a young man i'll read the description because it's hard to explain it's about a young man isolated upbringing and the race trial that sends him to the supreme court it challenges the sacred tenets of the united states constitution urban life the civil rights movement the father-son relationship and the holy grail of racial equality the black chinese restaurant boy and so (laughs) it's like the okay so the guy in the book proposes that we bring back slavery but it's a sociological experiment um he he proposes that we bring back slavery and also segregation and that's how he ends up in the supreme court but it's not you just have to you have to read it because it's supposed to be funny but like i said everybody won't find it funny like some people will be like this book is weird to me good goodbye but if you like kind of stream of causes if you have conscious if you have a dry sense of humor if you are kind of game for like a long kind of messy read um it gets there but it takes some time then you should check it out i just think it's funny and i think i what i've read so far i'm not i'm a little over halfway done with it but what i read i really like and i think that people should read it but everybody's not gonna like it if that <laughs> makes sense do not tweet or email me talking about this book is weird are you drunk um because i'm not but it won the man booker prize um and so that means something it's well written but i don't know you should check it out if you're a reader if you're a reedy and you're weird like me <laughs> um i'm well, intrigued side i want to know like i want to know his premise for why we should bring those things back so uh, i'm not supposed to yeah. be reading <laughs> No, this listen. This will not derail your process. Oh no, but, I know that. Um, but I'm not. I'm just not supposed to be reading it all. Okay. The um, you bought me this book for my birthday. I think I did. Yeah, I had my like my birthday and surgery around the same time, and I just was getting things that whole month, so <laughs> everything ran together. But you bought me this book, and it's a beautiful book. And then somebody in my house. <laughs> You won't say no name. Just, just, 
destroyed the book. And like one afternoon I had left it where we like on the couch or on the table and someone had sat on this one person had sat on it and bent the cover, then spilled his coffee on the table and it got on the book. Like the book <laughs> looked like I've had it for a hundred years. So it kind of ruined it for me and I couldn't read it until it dried. So then I started reading something else in the meantime. So that's why I'm only I'm only still halfway through. But so far, I like it. And it's good, crazy comedy for people with dry sense of humor and that are weird, like me. Nice. The sellout. <laughs> <laughs> There's some black lawn jockeys on the cover. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Just give it a run. All right. All right. What else we got? We have one in common. We do? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, we don't. No, we don't. I thought we did. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, it's so funny because a couple of the ones on your list, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." All right. Anyway. Um. So this is actually my last one, um, and it's another anthology. Uh, it's called "Shaking the Tree: A Collection of New Fiction and Memoir by Black Women," um, and this one is also pretty old, probably like okay. ten, twelve years old now. Um, but I remember I bought it because it has this really like vibrant, colorful color. I mean, cover. Jeez, mm-hmm. can't talk. Um, and I remember I picked it up in the bookstore because I saw this vibrant cover and I was like, what the heck is this? And I was like, oh, shit, new fiction and memoir by black women. Yeah, let's go ahead, Borders. Let's get that. So mm-hmm. um, it is 23 different women in this collection. Um, some of the people you're familiar with, like Edwige Danticat. Uh, ZZ Packer is in this bad boy. Um, Rebecca Walker, who is Alice Walker's daughter, is in it. Um, Danzy Senna, who wrote uh, Come to Me. Come to Me. Symptomatic, I think, and some other book that Ashley will know. (laughs) But uh, so this collection is kind of cool because it's snippets of uh, memoir and fiction so um, some of these come from larger bodies of work and some of these were specially crafted just for this collection um, but it talks about different social issues in conjunction with black womanhood mm-hmm. okay um, so yeah you know and I you know tragedies do happen but we are triumphant I have seen this book like the cover, I know I've seen it. Yeah, I just never read it. Yeah, I read a bad anthology that was about black women once, and I stopped reading black ladies anthologies. It was that bad. I bet I know which one it was. I bet you. <laughs> I bet you do too. We'll talk about it online, offline. offline. <laughs> and one day we're gonna talk about it online, and we're gonna say, mm, "Did y'all too find this book horrible?" Okay. Um. So, my last one is What Looks Like Crazy on an Ordinary Day by one Pearl Clegg. I still want to call her Cleege because I'm a hooligan. Phonetically, <laughs> I'm like, that's what my, my eyes see, so my brain think that's it. And it never occurred to me to, you know, figure out what it was when I first started reading her books. And so it's just, this is difficult for me. But anyway, um, What Looks Like Crazy on an Ordinary Day was like the one of the original, like one of the first maybe five Oprah book club books I think it was early um in short the book is focuses on um 
a black woman who was kind of like living her she wasn't living her best life but she was living her life and um she ends up having to go home home being michigan um because she has aids hiv so she's been like in atlanta Ooh. she's been <laughs> she's been living in atlanta living it up spending money and sleeping with men and uh yeah so her name is ava johnson and she returns to her home in idlewild i was looking for the name of the town um and she lives with her sister um and there her sister has this it's called they call it the sewing circle but it's basically like a little um organization a club for young women in the area to come and learn how to do things and when i say things i mean like change your own tire balance your bank account feed your baby properly whatever and of course there's a love interest and she's kind of has to navigate the waters of how to tell this man that she has hiv um there is a little bit of a plot you know a subplot that's very dangerous not really dangerous but it is um but it's really just about her kind of living with what people want especially at the time considered to be a death sentence and how she picks her life back up um and learns to live like this is not the end of your life you have new purpose you have new people in your life you have new love um and so this is what the book is about and it also touches on like you know there's some things with her hiv um but it's really 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 good and i haven't read it in years and i kind of want to reread it um it does. And it's one of those books that just makes you feel good. You know, like it makes you feel good, especially if you are a woman, especially if you're a black woman, it just makes you feel like black women are awesome. I want to meet everybody in the book and go, go to there. And, <laughs> um, so you should definitely check it out. It's I think, all... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to oh, say, no, I was... think that, so this is going to sound stupid because now that I'm about to say it out loud, I'm like, that sounds dumb. But I think that this was like the first book that I read that had black people in a small town that yeah, wasn't a yeah, suburb. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it kind of like, was like, I was like, oh, like we live like this. Cause like, of course I had been like down South to visit relatives. And so I'd seen the more rural type of living um, and like Mississippi and stuff like that. But it was just like, this little idyllic small town, um, almost like a Stars Hollow type thing if you watch Gilmore Girls, just to give it sort of a little bit yeah. of color. You know, everybody knew everybody. Everybody was in everybody's business. There was only the one church. Like, yeah. um, and it kind of looks like that. Go ahead. It's like Stars Hollow, but with like crack house sometimes. Yeah, you know, but it was like, despite their troubles, they were still like this little small, tight knit community. And mm-hmm. like, because I grew up in the city and the suburbs, but never in like that sort of like small, ensconced, like almost. Uh, where everybody is kind of codependent on one another to get by um, Mm -hmm. in good ways and bad. Um, And I would actually like to read more books like that. Yeah. That star like black people in small towns. 
Like I know yeah, of a that- series, but beyond like the Pearl Clegg books and the one series I know by Beverly Jenkins, like I don't think I've ever read anything about because the assumption I think to people is that that's not exciting, but it has its own it has its own type of excitement. Like, yeah. yeah. I like I had never really now that you mention it, I don't think I'd ever read any and that weren't said in the past. You know, like right. so that was the other thing. But this book is just I think really, really special. There is a um second one that's more about her sister called I Wish I Had a Red Dress. I recommend that you read the one after the other. Uh but I really, really enjoy that book. And it's one of those that just kind of good escapism. And it's also kind of taking place in the 90s. So you're talking about, like, things that were happening in the 90s. HIV was a thing. I mean, it still is. But, you know, we were still kind of figuring out prevention and yeah, how, how people live with it. Mm-hmm. How and there's crack addiction. And there's, yeah. So there's it's really good if you've never read it. Yeah. If you if you again if you're a youngin and you've never read this, you should really read it. It's a good book. Agreed. We have that is it. Okay. Um, um I'm still Jamaica, read- what are you reading? I'm still reading uh my uh Bernie Madoff book. And so it's long. Um somebody I don't remember who, I'm sorry, 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 so that they might check that out read it but know that they're going to (laughs) so what they do in this book and they really do a job of explaining all of these things like all of these people and all of this uh they do an explanation of like what's a derivative and what is a split investment strategy and what is this and then you're kind of like oh my god try to follow it because even though it's a little bit dry it matters because ultimately, <laughs> it all comes out to, he didn't do none of that shit. <laughs> so I was kind of laughing when I got to the part where it started talking about everything unraveling is because <laughs> they do all of this explaining of like this investment strategy and this business and this, but the, <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the end game is he ain't do none of that. So they could have left all that out, but it is interesting. <laughs> also, I think I made a comment uh, last weekend as I was reading it. I was like, let me go back and say, um, it talked about, I think I said something like, you just want to hear about, I just want to read about rich people suffering for once or rich white people suffering for once, which a lot of rich people did in some of their tears. I'm like, you're fine. But some people were, like I said, I did say this in the last episode, some of the people were normal, everyday people, like their pension fund got wiped out, whoever their investor is for their pension fund wiped out. So some people were broke, broke, broke. Some people were just like, oh my God, I used to be, have $300 million and now I only have $100 million. Um, but some people actually like committed suicide, you know? So I did not mean to make light of the people suffering. It was just kind of like the overall theme of the book. Like I don't have a whole lot of tears for you if you lost 2 million of your $50 million, (laughs) but I did, did not want to seem like um, I didn't care or flipping about the people who took their lives about it. So anyway, still reading it, still good, still recommend it. Just, you know, push through the, through the incredibly, granular detail at the beginning because it all makes sense once you get to the through it halfway through so that's it right so this has been another episode of better than the movie thank you for listening
done. We're going to end it. One of these days. <laughs> one day. Uh-huh. It ain't today. One day. Not today. All right. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and each other. Do you know what that's from? Why am I blanking right now? Congressman Jerry Springer. Mayor. My God. Yes. Oh. Man, I'm sorry. Now the Jerry Springer. <laughs> anyway. Like, now the well, music yo. is in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were kind of doing reunions. I don't know if y'all know this, but trying to do reunions and it didn't work out. But it's very much that, like, what was it like to stand behind Diana Ross and how she put on it was not a flattering book for Diana Ross it would be like if Latavia <laughs> wrote <about> Beyonce <laughs> yeah um and it was written I think they've since reconciled or at least they're cordial but that book was 